Blog Talk Radio. Episode of Tribe Radio. This is Zero, and we have Rock on the Line from Disneyland. Hey there. And uh, we have our returning guest is Alan Moore from Aries Tactical Solutions. Uh, later in the show, we're going to have uh, pro tips uh, about um, finding the correct martial arts academy, and we're joined for that by Exemplar from the Virginia Initiative, who has an extensive background in martial arts. Um, right now. Um, it, we're not going to be doing a lot of fun stuff, sorry. This week is not going to be a lot of fun and laughing. Uh, we'll try to keep it as upbeat as possible, but uh, due to the tragedy in Connecticut, uh, our show's uh, topic for this, this week is active shooter scenario. Uh, we're not going to get into gun debate, so please do not call in with any gun debate. This is not pro-gun, pro-gun and anti-gun. This is just how to survive, okay? Um and, of course, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Alan. Thanks for coming back, Alan. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be on here so I can help out. Yeah. It's, um, I don't even, a lot of us are still kind of like, don't you, we just really don't get it. You know, it's, I don't think anybody really gets it. And I think that, uh, obviously it's being compounded by the media. But just, just, uh, coming back to it. got a little uh, technical stuff going on with the phones. Um, coming back to it, it's just uh, it's senseless, and we want to we want to make sure this never happens again. So rather than debate it, uh, we're just going to read off. Uh, we're going to go let, let Alan go ahead and, and give us some tips on how to survive these kind of things. And I know Exemplar is going to chime in too because he's got uh, some knowledge in that in that field as well. So yeah, man, uh, Alan, it's it's your show. Go for it. All right, everybody. Um, you know, when it comes to an active shooter, uh, it's just, everybody can see how fast everything happens. Uh, it's usually a very quick situation. Uh, it's not a it's not a new phenomenon, uh, contrary to what a lot of people think. I think one of the very first ones was uh, I want to say it was either back in the 1700s or 1800s. Uh, I think it was the Enoch Brown School Massacre. They had four American Indians that. Uh, uh, went into a school of white sellers and uh, killed like nine children. So this this isn't something new, but I will say this: it is something that is rare, um, and that that uh, echoes through on a lot of FBI profiles and stuff too. Um, I want to give a few stats and everything just to set the tone, and this is from FBI.gov. Um, first thing they'll tell you is there is no definitive profile, and the reason that is is because there's not enough to get one. And I know it's easy to get fearful in a time like this, but you, it, it, you have to understand that it is a rare thing. They have there has been several, but as far as something that's happening all the time, it's just it's not the case. But a few things that we do know, uh, they're typically going to hit target-rich environments, uh, and that's why you're seeing them at schools and stuff. Uh, yeah, nine out of ten are going to be suicidal, and that number might even almost be ten out of ten anymore because. Typically, at the first sign of resistance, uh, these guys are um, committing suicide on the spot. Um, usually, it can last uh, about 10 minutes or less. Um, 
people on site can guarantee they will not receive immediate medical attention. Um, first responders typically are ill-equipped and outgunned when they arrive. Uh, the police are lacking proper training on the situation, and the traditional police negotiation tactic uh, is not working. Uh, it is something that police understand tactical intervention is needed right off the bat. So there's not really any waiting. And another statistic that kind of surprised me when I looked into it, but I guess it makes sense, that citizens are the first to arrive on scene, uh, especially in rural communities. The police typically have a – I know some of the things have changed, but a lot of the police are typically now arriving. Uh, they'll arrive on site and wait for another, uh, at least one other officer before going in. And I'm going to read you uh, – <laughs> Some other statistics here. These are on interventions, and this is going to set the tone for things uh, from my standpoint. Uh, this is for uh, from the um, Force Science Institute. This was compiled by Ron Borsch of the Southeast Area Law Enforcement Regional Training Academy, and he is a specialist on uh, rapid mass murder. He's, he's Unfortunately, he, he's got a horrible job of being the guy that tallies all this stuff up. Um, schools are targeted 38% of the time. Colleges and universities are targeted 17% of the time. Uh, your churches and religious facilities are the other 10%, and I'm sure the others are workplace, and there wasn't a big thing on that. Uh, now, when it comes to uh, intervention, uh, intervention occurs, it has occurred and has stopped uh, just over half of all of these things. Uh, Two-thirds was by civilians, and the other thirds was by cops. Uh, law enforcement on site, and that kind of makes sense when I was reading the stats before from the FBI. The citizens that stopped them were mostly unarmed in the situation. They really just kind of had uh, the guts and the mindset to do it. Uh, eight out of ten were stopped by a single person, just one person that made that choice. Seven out of ten were stopped by a solo officer, just one officer who avoided the rules and got into the fight. Uh, typically, the group of officers have never, ever stopped an incident when they've waited. It's always been too late. Uh, to me, that, that's, that's huge when you compile all that together, uh, and it starts to re reevaluate what people need to look at. Um, when it comes to surviving an incident, and I'm going to cover two sections here real quick, uh, just because one of them, uh, well, I, 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 we train at Aries Tactical Solutions. We train both of these, but I do want to cover this to an extent. I'm not going to dwell on it for a long time, but it is something because people are talking about this, and I want to give my quick opinion on this. Uh, a lot of people are talking about uh, concealed carry options, and I want to throw I want to throw this out um, that I I I, th I, th I do believe in concealed carry. I concealed carry all the time, uh, but there's few things for people to have in mind if this is their mindset. Uh, first is mindset actually. The the people need to be ready to fight. Um, if you're not ready, you know, first and, first and foremost, you got to have that mindset. If you're not, if you don't have that mindset, there's no reason for you, you to even carry, carry a gun. Uh, that's just that's my opinion on the situation. Uh, there's people who say they carry a gun just because they their their whole idea is to keep themselves safe and keep their family safe. And I think that's a cop out because you're making that you're making that choice when you carry that gun that you have the training and the mindset in order to intervene to save lives if you have to. And that's my opinion. All of this is my opinion. So um, one thing, now this will fall under both categories for people who don't care and people that do care. 
And this is something I found very important, and I do this all the time. I did it today. I was out in public today. I was carrying, but I do this all the time, and that is that I plan ahead and run scenarios. And by that, I mean that I'll be standing in, let's just throw something out like a bookstore. I'll be standing in a bookstore, and wherever I'm at, I'll stop right where I'm at and just look around and say, okay, somebody just come in the door shooting. What do I do? By doing this, this already develops the mindset, and this will say, okay, you know, uh, where are the exits at? Where's cover? Where are all these things that I can get into? Um, you know, what, what can I do? Can I stop the situation? Can I intervene? So this starts developing the combat mindset that people need for a situation like this. Um, you know, and a lot of people have different opinions on intervening. I personally, and this is my personal opinion, I believe in intervening in the situation to try and, uh, you know, stop it as quick as possible because in all these shootings, the goal of the shooter is to kill as many people as possible in the amount of time he's there, and that's it. But any police officer who has any training will tell you this, that this is what an active shooter does. And, I, you know, when I was looking up stuff, uh, compiling statistics, I found this quote last night, and when I found it, I thought to myself, man, this is – this is one of the most powerful quotes I've ever read, and this is something that everybody needs to think about, and I'm going to read it. And it doesn't matter whether you're armed or unarmed. None of this matters. It's all about mindset. And this is from Lieutenant Dave Grossman. I'm going to read it to you here real quick. Denial kills, kills you twice. It kills you once at your moment of truth when you're not physically prepared. You didn't bring a gun. You didn't train. Your only defense was wishful thinking. Hope is not a strategy. Denial kills you a second time because even if you do survive physically, you're physiologically shattered by fear, helplessness, horror, and shame at your moment of truth. When I read that, that really meant a lot to me because, you know, right then you, you have that choice, and it's really going to hit you hard when you look back and you say, you know, I saved myself, but, you know, what about all those other people when you could have done it? Um you know that that really hit that really hit me very hard when I read that, because to me that is the essence of mindset, no matter what. So, um, you know, it, if you're looking for like a concealed carry holder, uh, first thing I'm going to tell the guys, you know, you can't just take this class and and think you're going to go out there and save the world. It's not going to happen. It, it is something. Don't get me wrong, but you have to be trained. You need advanced training. And you need to be good at what you're going to do before you even think about it, before you even think about doing anything like this. And um, just a quick thing, and then I'm going to I'm going to be uh, done on this particular topic here. But I just I just wanted to cover it. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, if I pull my pull my gun and intervene, what's going to happen uh, if if I hit somebody else? There's where the training comes in. There's where understanding, you know, one of the one of the uh, four rules of knowing your target and what is beyond it before you pull that trigger. Uh, you know, you have to worry about the cops showing up. Also, you don't want them to think you're the gunman. As soon as you're finished doing with whatever you need to do, immediately reholster your gun. Um, and even and I won't even say, let's say somebody is carrying a, some other weapon, a knife or whatever. Immediately put it away. Immediately put it away. And um, I would even say most people carry on cell phones, so uh, go ahead and call uh, the cops yourself right off the bat. Um, and you, you, you want to, when they arrive, you don't want there to be any questions about who the bad guy is. <laughs> you 
do you uh do you mind if I chime in here, Alan? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Uh first of all I wanna say that um when I was seeing you online. This is this is uh, exemplar of this is exemplar of the Virginia Initiative talking right now. So go ahead. When I've seen you online, most of the things you said have been either accurate or and just now you didn't fail either. Uh and I'm not saying that like you need credibility from me or anything, but I would like to corroborate a lot of the stuff you just said, which is empirically okay. true. Um, <clears throat> the One of the things I like uh, when you said target-rich environment, uh, that's like in the area uh, when you were speaking uh, in that area, um, everything you said is things I've been telling people for the last week or two. Everything you said. Um mm-hmm. When you have these three killers, it's just like serial killers. There's no box. There's no construct. Uh, and we're provided that illusion by a lot of television shows and things like that that have no real foundation in reality. Um, sorry, that was redundant. Uh, those kinds of things, um, there's no trend. There's no predictability. Uh, like you said, three killers are often suicidal, too. Um and so you've got somebody that's moving in with a death wish and absolute authority. That lack of compunction means that they're going to be unfettered by certain emotional reactions that most of the people on site are. Uh, when you talk about training, that is absolutely true. Uh, the thing is, when these kinds of things go down, uh, it's in the space between heartbeats. Every stroke, every sixth of a heartbeat is life and death. Everything that happens uh, in in the few seconds these things, like maybe a few minutes these things transpire in, is meaningful and consequential. And that's really partially where the training comes in. If you're going to be the person that attempts to do something about these things, um, you have to act with authority. That's not rashly. I'm not encouraging anybody to be rash in this situation by any means. But you have to act with authority without doubt, and as quickly as possible. Just like in other combative principles, drill, muscle memory, things like that matter. Um, I actually was, uh, one shooting I was uh, in the uh, civilian world um, was at a nightclub where two armed security guards were on the site. Okay, and what we had was, we had an entrance, four pillars, uh, uh, five cars blocking line of sight to the right where the shooter was at the entrance. Shooter was uh, around like the fourth car. And what happened was one of these armed security guards sank, panicked, and cried with their head between their hands. The other one stood with his profile towards the shooter without having even drawn his weapon, like a deer in the headlights. And that's the thing, without, even if you, and that, that, that corroborates what you said about if you get the permit, that extends to people who even get, like, armed security authority sometimes. Like, getting that certification doesn't enable you. Uh, getting that certification isn't magical. Um, you You really need to, uh, you really need to make sure that you're going to behave the proper way in the in the lens of the moment. And um oh man, I just said oh man, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> that kind of you thing. That kind of thing is. Sorry. Oh no, go ahead. I, I was just, you know, it's funny that uh, exemplar everything you're saying. Um, and and for those of you that don't know, exemplar is is highly trained in martial arts and many other things, several different martial arts. And um, Nightbug and I are also uh, martial artists and, and teachers. And for those of you who who don't plan on carrying a gun, or who are out there and for layman's, you know, um, I. So, Everything that that they're both saying about this knee-jerk response that you need to train yourself in, even if you don't want to train yourself to, to, you know, handle a gun or anything like that, the most important thing you can do is train yourself to respond, to react. Because just like the other example they've given, that San Ysidro McDonald's shooting that killed 22 people, the shooter had two instances where he reloaded the gun and because they were frozen in shock because you do get into a state of shock they couldn't get themselves up to leave the restaurant to save themselves so if there's anything you take from this show tonight take that you need to train yourselves to react just like you said if you're in a bookstore look for your exit look for um any possible protection it sounds like you're living in paranoia it's not paranoia it's awareness there's a difference that, so I mean, yeah. That's absolutely true. Um, uh, uh, in addition to uh, the martial arts uh, that I teach uh, and all that rot, I actually do have something of a military background, uh, which I don't like to flaunt, honestly. But I guess to uh, illustrate that I do have some experience in the arena, uh, I'll mention it this time. Looking for cover is also an excellent habit to build, and it sounds morbid. It sounds like it's intruding upon daily life. But in in the same frame of mind, when you're scanning the exits and the entrances, uh, hugging, not hugging entirely, but moving towards cover intuitively uh, when you go anywhere, especially if it's a place like a school now, uh would be a good idea. The the thing about uh going back to the the, the bit about the training, um, you never know who you are until you've experienced that kind of combat time. You never know how you're going to act. So that's right. On the on the tip of uh, not diluting yourself uh, just because you have the concealed permit and telling yourself that you're going to be the hero, and I'm not, I am not downplaying heroism at all, trust me. I'm just saying people need to make sure that they have that character. They need to drill themselves into thinking in that kind of timing and acting with that conviction. Because like you said, right. uh, if, if, the, if the spree starts, you're not getting out. Your life is forfeit one way or the other. Depending on the ammunition count, the response team of local SWAT team, uh, how long, and when the SWAT team gets there, usually they have to take a moment to quarantine the area too, and then set up and move in. SWAT teams right. don't well, see, uh, teleport. What right. Do you think? Well, see, you know that 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 kind of goes back, you know, really in a situation like that, exactly exactly what you're saying there. You, you know, once you're in it, once you're in it, you're in it. And there's no there's no wishing your way out of it. 
There's none of that. And really, in that situation, you you know, I, this is one of the reasons I'm I'm uh, big on intervention is because at that point you really have two options. Uh, you know, you, you really you either can be a, a live hero or a dead hero. And to be honest with you, there's only one difference between the two, and that's luck. Uh, you know, the, yeah. a live hero is going to have luck on his side. The dead hero, you know, it wasn't his time that day. But you know, I, don't, I guess it, it depends on the person, the type of character of the person. Not everybody has that, and you know, you, you don't really, you know, I don't damn or condemn people for not having that mindset. Not everybody has it, and you know, the same thing as you were saying about with uh, looking for cover. Another important thing people need to think about also is the difference between cover and concealment. Um, a lot of people like, like the thing. A lot of people think you know if, that uh, cars are considered uh, cover. You can get behind a car and you're safe. That can be true to an extent, but for the most part, cars are concealment. Uh, even behind the engine block and behind the wheel wells, you're still you know bullets. The engine block's not that big. Bullets can still go through there. And I've seen videos. I've seen it done myself. I've seen you can find them on YouTube of people punching holes. Uh, through cars, even around the engine block area, because you know the engine block typically is not that big, and um, you know a lot of people, you know that's just that that's and that's something where people say, well, how am I supposed to figure out the cover and concealment? You know, I, I I got Google just like everybody else. If you don't know what it is, you know you can you, you can look on there and there's things, there's videos you can find. You can find a proper trainer that can tell you the difference between cover and concealment. And that becomes important, uh, especially if you're unarmed and you're in a situation like this, and your choice is to evade. If you're trying to evade, or maybe maybe you're carrying, maybe you've got to conceal uh, a weapon on you, and you, you're like, man, I, I need to get out of the mix here real quick. Because maybe, because in that situation, you might not have time to draw. You might just have to t- uh, seek cover or seek concealment for that time. And in that situation, you've you got to move. <laughs> There's no, there's no, then this whole situation, any, anytime anything like this sets off, your best option is going to be to move, 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 move. Uh, even, even if you, even if your choice is to, okay, the guy just walked in the door, I need to draw and shoot right now, or I need to make, you still need to move. Don't stand there. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I'm sorry. If, yeah, that's, yeah. If if you're if you're evading the area, if you're trying to get away, a lot of people even suggest, uh, which I think it's good. Uh, you know, if you're going to do any type of egress from the situation, uh, leapfrog, leapfrog from cover or concealment. You know, move here, look to see where the threat's at. Move here, look to see where the threat's at. Keep your eye on the threat so you know what's going on. And one of the reasons you want to keep your eye on the threat is that moment right where you were saying when people reload. Uh, reloads, jams. A lot of these rifles are jamming. Right. Uh, you know, I, right. I, 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 um, you know, when it comes to a lot of these guys, you know, using AR-15s and whatever. And I could tell you this, you know, with AR-15s, um, a lot of people pick at them and say they jam a lot. Uh, an AR-15 is one of those rifles that, if it's not treated correctly, it's easy to have operator errors on it. It's not. Um, you know, the military has a big issue with their uh, with their M4s and everything with them uh, jamming, and a lot of times it's because of operator error. And I've I've seen this in classes, but, you know, as soon as one of these things goes down, a lot of these guys don't know how to how to get that uh, that rifle up and running again, and they get weapons fixation, and they're not thinking about it. They don't transition. They're wondering, why is my rifle not shooting? And, you know, it kind of goes back to that old 
uh, rule with knives, where they that twenty one foot rule. Uh, you know, if you got a jam, uh, that's if I don't know if anybody knows that this. I'm sure uh, Exemplar does, but you know the tw- the 21 foot rule is if I've got a knife, uh, you got to have 21 feet in between you and me to draw your pistol, shoot me, and not get stabbed. Uh, yep. So now imagine that with a jammed rifle. That that where the with pistol the pistol is operational. You just can't get it out quick enough. So now you've got a jammed rifle that they're looking down, typically trying to figure out how to get it working again. Charge them, uh, move yep. from cover if you have to. I mean, come on, you, you have you have to do this. I mean, and that's just, that is my opinion on that situation because as soon as they get that thing up and running again, uh, you know, the people are going to start dying. It's an informed opinion, and taking it back to the um, taking it back to the cover concealment, uh, and when you're talking about the cars, most of them are using uh, AR-15s or at least rifles that have some pen, and when they use those, those are gonna those are actually gonna go through the cars better than your pistols or your shotguns. Yeah. Uh, that's that's another thing I'd like to support you on. Um, the rifles are definitely going to punch through there faster, uh, more so actually if they're using something like an AK, but uh, right. they're going to punch through that car and get to you. Uh, the 21-foot rule is definitely empirically true. Uh, the 21-foot 21, the 21 rule is, yes, having the weapon drawn and uh, ready to fire uh, to prevent someone from stabbing you to death. Uh, it's actually ironic that you mentioned that because um, my grandmaster's the guy that did the FBI study for that. He helped them do the study. Um, as far as the uh, as far as the charging, yeah, that's also another fabulous thing I'd like to support. If a malfunction occurs, and it's very probable, especially if they're using a Colt deck and say one of the old NATO mags because they couldn't afford another kind of mag so those NATO mags jam a lot uh, charge right for them and I'd even recommend moving to cover and flanking them like if you can leap when you were saying leapfrog if you can leapfrog to a flanking position that's even better flanking, it's better to you, attack laterally and could you could you guys uh, could you could you illuminate on the idea of flanking for people who don't know uh, tactical jargon yeah, yeah, I have to I have to interject here. I'm I'm trying to speak through all my I know I've got a lot of civilian friends who are listening in and they have no clue as to half of the stuff you guys are talking about. A lot of them are moms who are been really scared. Um, yeah. you know. So if you guys keep it in in easy terms for them to know so in case they have to do something too, they'll be able to, to follow your instructions. Yeah. Blanking, so yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm not trying to talk to anybody, I'm sorry. Flanking, essentially speaking, is moving to their side. What happens, uh, let's say, and I'm going, to, I'm going to simplify the explanation by giving an actual combat comparison. What I want to do most of the time, say, like, if, if I'm in a, an actual combat squad and I'm getting hit by a machine gun, what I want to do is I want to take their eye off the ball or suppress them and pin or pin them. So by suppress, I mean, keep their head down by pin. I mean, keep them in the same position and I want to move around the side to get to them. And the reason for that is if their eyes caught one way, 
then they're not going to be looking at the side as well. Uh, this concept extends to all, all kinds of facets of combat, whether we're talking about melee weapons, martial arts, uh, or shooting, taking someone's side where they're not looking is an advantageous position. It's also a, a good position to have if they are, say they are the spree killer and they're trying to nail everybody in front of them, if you can move to cover to a lateral position from them to their side, you'll have a better chance of escape too. Uh, either way, I, it would probably be preferable to move to their side. Okay. And right. once, I would agree. Once, now, once you – so let's uh, – this is zero again. Let's, let's say, hypothetically, you do move to their side and you do, rather than, uh, than make your exit, you actually get the drop on them. What parts of the gun and in what direction should the gun be pointed when you overtake the person, if you overtake the person? I can imagine if you do some damage to the clip of the gun, that would probably cut them off pretty well. The, the, well, simple, the simplest thing I would say on that um, – for, and and you know I, I have I've done martial arts for quite a while too. Um, my, my opinion on that now, if we're talking simplistic, if if it's somebody if it's somebody who uh, is a martial artist, you know maybe they've uh, done some wrestling, or some jujitsu or whatever. Honestly, with a rifle, because most people uh, a, a rifle it'll work one handed, but most people they, they especially if they don't have a lot of weapons training, their idea is a rifle's a two handed weapon, which it is. So they're going to have two hands on the rifle. Approaching them from the side and taking them down belly flat is going to pin the rifle underneath them. Um, that's a good call uh, on the gun because you don't, ha you don't have to immediately go for the gun. But one of the easiest ways to get control also, even if you just can't tackle them down, maybe they're bigger than you or whatever, you just don't have any experience, is get control of the gun, however, uh, there's a good chance the barrel's going to be hot. In an adrenal state, you're probably not really going to give a shit. But um, knock, knock the knock the front hand off of the rifle, and it becomes a long weapon. Uh, you know, and you're going to have a leverage advantage on that. You, you'll be able to control it and angle it down. Uh, some people say angle up. I don't believe in that because if you're in a two-story building, the people above you just got shot, um, yeah. and bullets aren't magic. They don't go into the air and disappear. They will land and come back down. So, And once you get control of that, honestly, uh, from there, they're probably going to start trying to wrestle with you. Um, my my thought on that is is the old classes of uh, eyes, eyes growing throat on that. If you, don't have, if you don't have any skill on that, but you're going to have a leverage advantage over that long gun once you get your hands on it. Well, how, what's the, uh, what is the the uh, the reality of, of damaging that clip, by the way? Because I, I, obviously I haven't fought anyone with, a, with an automatic rifle, but what is the reality on that? Go, go from the gun, not for the clip. Okay. Yeah, because I, it's, it's, a small, it's a small button, and it really, and depend, if you don't have a lot of knowledge of firearms, they can be located in different space, different places and operate differently also. Like if a guy comes up with an AK and an AR, if, you go, if you're used to disarming or dropping the mag on an AR and you go for that same spot on an AK, you're going to be surprised because it's not going to be there. The easy yeah, thing is to get control. I was talking, uh, honest, was talking uh, about the, the viability uh, of breaking the clip somehow, like bending it to the side, I don't know, hitting it with something. 
Yeah, I, I, I no. think it would be. I think it would be too much of a precise movement. Because in that adrenal state, everything's going to be a gross motor movement. You know, you're going to be your hands are going to your hands are going to be like flippers. They're not going to have a whole lot of dexterity to it. Honestly, probably one of the easiest things to do would be to control the barrel or uh, towards the front of the gun, and then to, with your other hand wrap underneath it and basically kind of hug it to your body. That way they're going to they're going to have one arm against your whole body holding on to that gun. And really you can just kind of start going ape shit and and shaking and pulling away and get the gun loose from their hand. Just something as simple as that uh for people that don't have any training. And of course if you got training, you know, you can you, you probably know how to snatch it away pretty quick. I mean, we've done we do knife and gun takeaways here uh at Aries Tactical Solutions, but you know, that's okay. the easiest thing I can think of for, you know, even a mom can do that. You know, just, just getting hold of it because it's the whole body uh, against that one hand. And that naturally, yeah, people say, well, they're going to punch you with the other hand. Yeah, at that moment, you're not you're not going to feel that. You know, it, it, the, odds of, the odds of getting KO'd by them like that. Plus when, you know, it's kind of like a pack of dogs. Uh, it, once that one dog makes the move, the other dogs will get brave and go in, uh, you know, it's the same with it's gang mentality, too. You know, once that first person goes in, everybody else is like, oh, man, you know, I can actually fight back. And it will give the other people confidence. And probably what you'll find is once you go for that weapon and get in a wrestling match, other people are going to join in, too. So we have we have survival when you when you can actually attack and uh, attack the, the shooter. Do we have uh, anything as far as uh, prevention system survival for people that that uh, that need to like um, organize and get out of the area? Well, before um, uh, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Uh, before b- before we get to that, I'd I'd just like to actually again support uh, what Alan said. Uh, the magazine is going to be too small a target. Uh, that's going to be a liability, and people a lot of times fall to the lowest level of their training. Uh, in addition to that, um, the the thing that uh, I actually did with you a few minutes before the show, uh, Zero, yeah, uh, with the handgun, that would be also be that would be a good direction, which is folding it towards the shooter in an arc, except in situations where there will be uh, damage to innocent bystanders. In which case, up is definitely the best direction. And he's totally right, once again. Uh, but uh, going on to the survival thing. Sorry, Alan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, if you – and this kind of comes back with the with the unarmed, uh, you know, response to something like that. It really, really the person – the people are left with three options. Really, you got hide, evade, or engage. And a lot of times – and, and my idea on hide is if you're going to hide, you need to be prepared to engage. Because there's a good chance you're going to be found. You may be hiding in a spot, and the shooter may walk right past you. I remember hearing about the Colorado shooting in the theater, and people were saying they were laying on the floor and they saw the gunman walk right past them. And you know, and I think to myself in that situation, you know, dark theater. What if you popped up and just tackled them against the wall? You know, that 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 could have changed a lot right then. Um, so you know, you need to be prepared. Uh, for something like that, if you're going to, we've already covered evade, and we've talked about engage. You know, improvised weapons is going to be something that's important. Uh, you know, with an improvised weapon, something as simple. Uh, and yes, this is going to get. You know, this isn't a nice subject, but this is, uh, you know, 
the, this, the whole incident is is what it is. It's an active shooter. So let's say, okay, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the call to the I'm uh, not the Colorado, but the uh, Connecticut shooting. Let's say the same situation happened, and there's somebody in you're in the, the teachers in the room, and the guys coming in the door. When an active shooter enters a room, their typical first reaction is to look straight forward. They're looking for where targets are supposed to be, not where targets are. So when they come in the door, if you if there's if you know okay you know I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to fight. He's coming. So the when they come in the door, if all you have to do to start to start this off, pick up a pencil and ink pen or something off off your desk. Uh, I'm sure the teacher had scissors and all kind of things. So the person comes in. All you do, the the one hand redirects the rifle away. The other hand takes the pencil and jabs it in the eye. Yep. I know that I know that's gruesome, but at, guess how many people are going to want to continue shooting once you shove a pistol in their eye or a, a pencil in their eye? Yeah. Um, at least you know, take their eye off the ball. That's it, and they're probably honestly going to forget about the rifle too, because uh, typically whenever there's pain initiated to the body, the hands automatically go where the pain's at. So uh, they're probably actually going to reach for their eye, and you're going to have a rifle. And 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 in that situation, you say, well, should the, should the person shoot? I don't know. I'm not that person in that situation. Would I shoot? Yeah, probably. But um, you, you can just push them right back out the door and shut the door again. So something that simple. You know, you need to understand the idea of improvised weapons. People get this idea of, oh, I'm, I'm unarmed. You're not. Every single time, I bet if every person who's listening to this right now looks around them, they can find at least ten weapons or things that can yep. be used as weapons. Now, if, so, interject if I can interject with that real quick, um, improvised weapons, usually it's there's there's two things to look at. It's your, your grip position. Which is gonna it's just gonna really kind of dictate how much force you can exert on the second factor, which is the striking edge, and that's gonna be where all the force is concentrated on. Like uh, something like a magazine may not seem like a weapon, but if you roll that up real tight, you pretty much you have a, a um, what is the word? Coupeton. Uh, it's pretty much a coupeton. It's a nice tight little uh, short staff, like a little tiny. Well, a lot of people carry uh, little pieces of wood here in New York because it's the only thing legal. It's about, I don't know, a little less than a foot-long piece of wood. That's all you can really carry here. But a magazine rolled up real tight will do just the same amount of damage. Exactly. That, and that, and that, that's a simple thing that people can do. And, you know, and and I know a lot of people would think, oh, man, I don't know if that, that's that, – I don't know if I can do that. That's kind of scary. But in that moment – you have to make the choice. Do you want the killing to stop? Because if you don't do anything, the killing's not going to stop until he's out of bullets or he shoots himself. So it goes back to that quote I read from uh, Colonel Grossman earlier. You, you have to you have to make that decision. Uh, there are other things that you can do. You can, uh, especially if the you know uh, common sense things of of blocking uh, you know doors and all that. Really, if the shooter wants to get in, he's probably going to get in. But uh, putting objects up in front of the door to attract his attention when he comes in is also another option. Um, throwing things in his direction to distract him uh, as other people. If, you, if there's other people stationed on the other side of the door, as soon as the guy comes in, toss, toss, start tossing some things at him. A stapler, if, you know, if you're in a, an office workspace or whatever like that. So these are just little things that people can do. That, uh, an easy distraction thing, which... 
I don't know how great this would be. It would depend on how close you were. But a handful of change thrown into the face is a, a very good distraction. Uh, when we've practiced uh, gun disarms, we tend to find that the, the easiest methods is there has to be some sort of distraction beforehand before yeah. you get it away without getting shot. Uh, so those are those are all going to be things that the person has to look at. Also, another another idea would be possibly if there's some kind of loudspeaker or a loud music system around, you can engage that so he can't hear you sneaking up on him. That's another one. That could be possible. Also, with all the shooting. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever heard in, uh, a rifle indoors with no ear protection, but uh, who? <laughs> Especially AR-15. There's quite a crack. Um, it's yeah, going to be it's, it's going to be very loud in there. It's going to yeah. get very loud very quick. There's going to be screaming. There's going to be all kind of stuff. And really, they're, they're looking for victims. The last thing they're expecting is resistance. That's why they honestly. I mean, I, I, this, this isn't being political. This is just fact. This is one of the reasons why they go to places that are considered gun-free zones. Because they automatically know, okay, I know that I'm not going to run into anybody. That's why they. That's why they choose schools. I mean, schools and hospitals and stuff like that. They're looking. They're looking for places where it's an easy target. And the, 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 yeah, sorry, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's all right. And statistics show, like I said, statistics show that at the first sign of resistance, these guys put the pistol in their mouth and finish themselves off because they want to take away that power that the, uh, they don't want another person to have the power over their life. They want to have the power over other people's lives. So, so uh, matter of fact, uh, case in point, the, the Oregon mall shooter that popped up uh, right before the Connecticut shooting, it wasn't reported widely, but uh, the fact of the matter is, is the guy was actually stopped by a concealed weapons holder. When the guy was going down the hall, uh, his rifle had jammed. He was trying to figure it out, and there was a guy in the mall who was carrying concealed. He drew his weapon, got behind a pillar, uh, big one of those big stone pillars. That is cover. Um, and he sighted in on the guy. He did not fire because behind the guy he saw somebody moving, and he was concerned about uh, missing. That was a good call on his part. You know, naturally you could say could have, should have, would have. He could have moved to a different spot. He had a shooter. You know, whatever. But what happened is when the shooter got up, he he was trying to figure out how to get this rifle working, and he looked up, and he noticed he had a concealed carry permit holder. The guy said that he locked eyes with him, and as soon as he saw the concealed carry holder, he pulled a pistol out and shot himself in the head. So he wanted to make sure that he still had that power over his own life, and he wanted to have the power of taking life. He didn't want nobody to have that power over him. So that's another example of how you know, you know, just and and, and let's let's say the guy would have just tackled him. There's a, there's a good chance that this guy could have uh, shot himself. And of course, you know, of course, there's a possibility he could have got shot. But that's the decision he has to make. Do what are you more concerned about? Is you know, some people say, well, I don't want to have to tell my kid why why I got killed, or or I don't want somebody to have to tell my kid why I got killed. Really, do you want to tell somebody else's kid why you didn't do anything to save their father? So these are things you have to think about. These are all moral implications. So um, that's, you, you that's my I, opinion on it. Do you mind Go if ahead. I uh, add to what you said again? Uh, again, phenomenal point. Um, one thing I want to bring up that's a fundamental concept that some people that are listening might be seeing is that real combat involves a lot of misdirection. 
And that is something, if there, if you can't remember the entire checklist of what's been said, uh, just remember misdirection. If you can misdirect somebody, you can get a momentary advantage. And that slight window, that 16th to a 30th of a second, which is how these things are measured, that's how these things go down, is that frame of time. Your average authoritative, somewhat trained shooter will be killing in 30th of a second. Your extremely well-trained person, be that a uh, Metropolitan SWAT team, SF member from different countries, etc., would be like somewhere around 16th to a 20th of a second. But if you can misdirect somebody for that amount of time, that can mean life. Uh, in terms of hiding, if you choose to hide, and I'm not decrying that action at all, uh, it, well, I'm not decrying getting away. Uh, but if you do choose to hide, make sure that you do not uh, actually put yourself in a worse situation than you were in previously. Um, if you put yourself into an enclosed space uh, with no exits, uh, with your back against the wall, then you're giving the shooter what uh, professionals in, in, in the business, and I apologize for how crass the term might sound, a kill box. You are actually making yourself a more available target to come and get picked off later. So hiding in an enclosed space with no discernible exit and only one entrance would not be a good idea in this situation. Also, if you funnel yourself in what's uh, called a choke point, if you get into too narrow a defile, you're also actually providing the shooter with a better target. And like he said, with the, uh, with the school shootings and the, the holy places and all these other things, uh, when we use the term target-rich environment, that is not a political polarizing statement at all. It is because in these areas, it's expected that you can kill with impunity, that you can rack up these numbers. This is made even more dangerous because a lot of these guys now are wearing a lot of body armor. A couple of cases recently, there's been a lot of body armor involved here. And even then, your pistols would be of somewhat more limited capacity or yeah, instrumentality is what I should say. Uh, just, uh, I think it was within the last two weeks um, in China, a gentleman walked into a school and stabbed 23 children, stabbed, not shot, stabbed, uh, for the same reason, target-rich environment, crossing cultural boundaries, ideas of pragmatism and taboos. This guy walked into a different kind of target-rich environment and stabbed 23 children. Um, hey, I, 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 can I throw something in here real quick? Sure. Um, I don't want. I don't want to. I don't want to forget it. I didn't bring a pen to make notes so I could remember what you said. But I, I want. I want to say this real quick. Uh, first thing about about the um, the guy with the knife in China. A lot of people were saying, well, you know, in that situation, those kids were only wounded. And to that, I respond, they were lucky. And the reason is, it, you know, you, just just like with a gun, you don't have to be a specialist. A spe if you've ever worked with anybody. Uh, I've done a lot of extensive knife training. If you ever work with anybody who's good with a blade, uh, it would change your your mind about uh, just how deadly it can be and how quickly it can be. Now, granted, you don't have to be skilled 
to use one effectively. However, they say, well, you know, none of those kids, all of those kids were just were just injured. Nobody died. And to that response, I say, well, if he'd have had a 12 inch knife, it would have been a different story because every stab would have been a kill, most likely, yeah, I was, uh, especially I was actually, on children. I was actually surprised when I saw that none of them were killed uh, because, right. um, coming from coming from the background I do, and uh, all the Filipino knife, et cetera, and Malaysian right, yeah. stuff, like, <laughs> yeah, what you're saying is extremely true. Uh, right. Every stroke of that thing can move at 90 miles per hour. Somebody knows how to move it. Exactly. And it can move at an angle that will land. Right. And, and also, let me state this, too. Uh, with the, the topic of body armor, uh, and this also goes, this goes for anyone who's carrying anything. I don't care what it is, a knife or whatever. Let me state this, and this is, this is, this is my little bit of rant about the media here um, because it is important. The media sees any black vest as body armor, um, but there's a big difference, and I'm sure Exemplar can can uh, um, say he knows what I'm talking about. There's a difference between body armor and a load-bearing vest. Um, Definitely. In the in the James Holmes shooting, and the reason I know this is because when I was watching after all this happened, I was watching the reports, and they were showing the list of things he bought online, and they showed the body armor he bought, and it was a Black Hawk tactical load-bearing vest. That was the supposed body armor. So all these people that said, well, if there had been a concealed carry holder there, wouldn't have done no good anyway. He had body armor. That's a load of BS because it was, it, was it was a load-bearing vest. Uh, now, he could have had plates. That is possible. But when they showed the vest that he wore, I looked it up online immediately, and it is not made for plates. So that changes that uh, right off the bat. And the same thing happened with this shooter in um, in Connecticut. They said he had body armor, but what he had, once it was reported, was a load-bearing vest. And that's just – for anybody that doesn't know what that is, all load-bearing vest is, is it's something for me to carry magazines and ammo and stuff on. It's exactly as it sounds. It's designed to carry a load. It doesn't have any ballistic capability. It's not going to – it's not made to stop bullets. They do have some that you can put plates in, but a lot of these guys are getting them cheap, so it's just ones that you put on and zip up, and there's no there's no plate capacity, so there's no body armor stuff there that that's that's one thing a lot of people don't get in there i see it in the media and it just bugs the hell out of me because i'm like that is that's the load-bearing vest it's very different and people might not think it's uh important to know this but you know what honestly it takes about maybe five minutes to go to look it up and learn it and then you'll always have the information that's just and that's what i say about all information that that may or may not at one point in your life mean life or death so go learn it though all stuff, every all everything, learn. Oh. And, and honestly, even with all that, even with all that, you can always, as somebody with a concealed weapon, can always shoot them in the face. I'm sorry to sound just so blunt like that, but it's absolutely true. Unless you've no. got bulletproof <laughs> covering over his face, if you've got a concealed weapon, you can shoot the guy in the head. Yeah, and you know, so that, 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 that's one. That's one thing we say too. You know, as I say, well, the guys got the guys wearing body armor. You know, typically. You know, if the guy – well, shooting where there's not armor, and and there's no such thing as bulletproof. There's bullet resistance. Yeah, Things yeah. do stop bullets, but eventually the bullets will get through. And 
and I, what did I? What is the stats that were that this was from? Uh, you know, a guy that studies stats. As soon as the people meet intervention, they want that control. They want that power over their own life. And nine times out of ten, they will take their own life as soon as they meet resistance. Yeah. So even if you just start putting rounds on them. Uh, and the people say, well, you know, in a the theater, everything's going crazy, and there's people running around all over the place. Well, you know, that's where the advanced training comes in because in my response, and I've been sitting in the theater and thought this, okay, a guy walks in the front, what do you do? Well, my, my thing is I'm, gonna, I'm actually, believe it or not, I'm going to start moving along the wall towards the target because everyone else is moving towards the exits, which uh, in a stress situation, people aren't going to run towards the fire exits because that's where the danger is. So everybody's going to get in that funnel, in that choke point that he was talking about, and they're going to head for the way they came in. He's going to be aiming at the targets there, and as I'm moving down along the wall, I'm getting closer to the target, and I'm putting rounds. And people can say what they want. They say, well, it's a dark theater. You know what? Anybody who's a shooter who is trained uh, to to uh, you know, be that sheepdog in society to watch over everybody as the wolves are out there. Most guys I know with myself, um, everyday carry, I have light on me. Any real, any real person that carries concealed that's planned to use their gun, you know, we we do a lot of uh, low light training also, and we train with. A, I carry a light with me, and if you say, well, you got a flashlight? Yeah, I do actually. And I carry it on me. <laughs> so again, I, would like to, I want to remind everyone that's listening right now. Once again, um, it might sound a little harsh what we're talking about. It might sound a little violent, but honestly, we're not getting into the debate of uh, mental health, uh, society, the public debates, the media, the gun control thing. We're not getting into that. All we're telling you how to do is how to protect yourself in the situation. And honestly, it's not going to be pretty. So you know, it's, it's either get offended here, or if, if as bad as this conversation may hurt you right now, it's not going to hurt as much as when if when if it happens in real life. So it might absolutely. it might indeed absolutely. save lives. Absolutely. Um, you uh, know, so, go ahead. So going, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say so from going going from what uh, Joe said. If we were to you know take all the, the politics out of it, like he was just saying. If we were to be, let's say, we're in a Barnes and Noble or any other bookstore, and we start hearing gunshots, you've already given them, you know, places to, to think about being and things to think about doing even before this happens and knowing that they should do something. And you've already told them the difference, you know, well, to Google the difference between concealment and cover. And you've told them what they can do uh, if they choose to, well, well here's, here's what I'm getting to. If this sounds really harsh, everybody who's listening, he's giving you something to do. If you know, if you have no choice, and you're either going to be shot, or or you know, be lucky that day. If you want to fight back, he's giving you something to do. If you choose to run, run. But if you're right there and you know you can stop the killing, or stop yourself from being killed, you're going to want to share this with other people. So you know, yeah. tell them to listen to this show because he's, he's giving you more. You know, than we could ever give you on this. So, yep. and um, also, <laughs> we're getting into a multi-part verbal pileup. Right. Um, uh, also, um, one thing I wanted to cover uh, real quick. Um, I, I, I want to. I wrote this down. I wanted to make sure that we got into this because uh, somebody had asked about this. Uh, was about prevention, just in general. For you know, okay, what could the school have done to change things? Um, one thing I want to throw out, uh, it's not perfect, 
don't get me wrong, this this is this this is not perfect, but it is something which is better than nothing on this. Um they do sell uh ballistic blankets. And uh these are something that could be put in a teacher's closet and they they go all the way up to level three. And while it may not uh do the best and it may not even stop uh you know, any if it depends on what they're shooting. But for the most part, in most situations, if you got the kids, because I know the protocols for them to line up against the wall uh, and everything, but typically I know in this situation, one of the things they said was that there was, you know, a, a lot of the children were shot multiple um, multiple times. And the, the protocol was to have, well, they were all huddling in the corner. Bullets go through things. And... You know, you, you want you want uh, these kids to be covered with some type of ballistic protection. If you got all the kids to get their book bags and line up, or, or even if they were going to huddle up and basically create a wall of those book bags, fill every book they got and cover themselves with a ballistic blanket, you've got pretty damn good protection, at least for a little while. And the teacher, and that's when, that's when I say, okay, they're hiding there. The guy's going to find them when he comes in. But that's where the teacher also can have the ability to intervene there, and that's something simple. Because you know, I mean, there's I know right now my my state is putting forth stuff for teachers to carry concealed. I have mixed feelings on that. I know it it works in some places, but you know, how many teachers are going to receive the advanced training that's needed for this? Uh, I'll throw this out here on the air right now. Any teacher. If if my state passes that, if any teacher is interested in something like that, uh, get in touch with me, and I will train you for free, um, free of charge. Uh, it, it, wow. it will be on the house. It wow. will be on the house for any teacher in the area that uh, wants any type of advanced training. Just come to me, and um, I'll bite the bullet on it. And you know, I, I would, I would, I, my goal is to, like I said, I didn't do this to get rich. Uh, I want to see people trained. And I want to see them safe. That is that is my goal. Um, so I will throw that out there. That's um, a generous offer, man. Yeah. That's, well, that's that that's nice. huge, Alan. That, that's really huge. Wow. That uh, yeah. And we we've got to put that contact info out for you out there because that's important. They don't even you know what they're getting from you. That's amazing. And and the prices that they're saving too. Thank you. Yeah. And I. I, w- I will give them the, the, the my advanced pistol course, you know, and and if, if they don't have any firearms training, uh, well, naturally, of course, I'm gonna I'm gonna start them there. But uh, th- they will receive, you know, they, they'll receive the training they need, um, and you know that they, they can they can come back or whatever when they need it. I just if if my state puts this through, that would just be that would mean a lot to me to be able to help like that. Um, uh, no, another thing too, and this is kind of something that I've I thought about pushing. Uh, people might have different uh, ideas about it, but you remember I said when I was reading the statistics from the FBI that the citizens are typically the first to respond, especially in rural areas. I know in my town, I live in a small town, man. There's, you know, uh, there's maybe two cops around. I had to call the cops one time for a guy uh, trying to break in my front door, and um, you know, naturally I was waiting on the other side for him, but you know, it's tough to get in my house. So you know, we did prepping last week, so. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, you know, it took them like 30 minutes to get here. And no, I, I kid you not, I can look across the street and see the police station. That's how close they are. It took them 30 minutes to get here. But you know, imagine an active shooter. If we've only got two cops, what type of training do you think they've had to deal with something like this? Probably not a lot in this little town. So my thought has been, 
possibly pushing something like a citizen response unit. And this would basically be citizens who basically are trained, uh, who live in the area, trained uh, to deal with active shooters. They can be deputized by local law enforcement uh, because citizens are, you know, it's just like a volunteer fireman, basically. But they're trained specifically for active shooter stuff. They're trained in intervention and well as medical. That's one thing I haven't really covered a lot, which, you know, I, I have that with my active shooter bags, which is something I keep uh, with me. Um, active, shooter active shooter bag needs to have a med kit uh, to be able to, because, you know, first responders, if you've got that training, you're going to be needed there. So anybody with first responder training, it, you know, something like that, you need to be on site. But I, I would I would love to see a deputized citizens, group of citizens who are trained uh, along with law enforcement so they understand the rules and the, basically they keep up their training as part of this citizen response unit because if the cops can't get there in time, if you've got citizens within a certain perimeter, you know, um, they they would have the ability to get there in time, and they would have they need to have, of course, some type of ID clothing on them because so you know they don't get shot or whatever. But you know, if you've got a lone citizen who's in the area who is specially trained, deputized, and everything for an active shooter, as I read before, uh, you know, seven out of or eight out of ten times, a lone citizen has stopped one of these uh, attacks. So this Alan is your Warren. idea that that you want to have this put together. Alan, I would love to see this uh, see this put together. Uh, it's an idea I'm, I may uh, try and put forth in my area and see if I can get uh, some people on board with this because I think it would be great. Because uh, right, right now, I mean, it's, I think it's just important because a citizen, uh, uh, cops have a lot to do. You know they're 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 always they don't have time because I've offered cops training before and they're like I just I just don't really have time to do it but I yeah, know a lot really. of citizens yeah they they don't have nothing but time and you start talking about hey man if there's an active shooter at the school here what do you think about uh, being deputized and and having the special training and having someone to train you to deal with the situation what do you think about that I know a lot of people who would be all up for it and of course there would be a certain qualification they would have to have. But I think this would be great. Honestly, I see this as you know uh, the whole idea of arming teachers and everything. Uh, yeah, I know in is in Israel. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but in Israel, the the teachers over there actually do have rifles in their classroom that's locked away. You know, and of course you could go with quick access safes and all this. I don't know uh, because, like I said, I don't know if a lot of teachers would get that type of training. But with a citizen response unit. A lone, you could imagine all the lone citizens. Say you had seven citizens who went through this training. At some point, one of them's going to be close uh, in some area around here where there could be an active shooter, and they could be on the scene very fast. It uh, yeah, we have, um, we're we're at about I hate to cut you off, but we're at about half an hour here, actually 27 minutes, and we'd like to get uh, we have to get in the other the pro tip segment. Um, is there anything yeah. else you want to cover quick before we take? Uh, we have two calls in the line for you. Uh, let me let me throw this one little thing here. I was talking to somebody, and it kind of uh, popped in my head today. A lot of these cases, when they lock the doors, especially happened in Connecticut, that the guy kicked the door in. I know this sounds trivial, but uh, what about something as simple as taking taking the door instead of the door opening inward, uh, reversing the door so they open outward? Yeah. Uh, people may say, well, the hinges are right. They may take. You really think he's going to sit there and try and take the hinges off the door? It's tough to kick a door. Uh, 
in that's yeah. designed to go out. And that's something yeah. so <laughs> simple. I mean, that's true. That's like security wow. that one right there. Uh, yeah. I have a couple of I have a couple of other things I'd like to hit real quick, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, one, uh, in the vein of helping someone get out, if you're if you're trying to survive and you're altruistically throwing yourself out there and you want to help other people get out, the best thing to do is to get to cover, pull someone beside you if you're interested in saving their life or giving yourself for them. Pull them with you. Take the time to pull them into cover with you, and then you can both tandem leapfrog between points of cover to safety. That will be your best route if you're not going to fight the shooter. For instance, if you're trying to get children out, you can tell them that this is very important. They have to move to the place you point to and the next place you point to, and you start leapfrogging with them until they get to safety. And you might you might end up uh and I hate to say this, you might end up if if that's what you want to do, making a sacrifice for it to make sure that child gets out alive. Because at the very at the very worst, what's going to happen is they're going to draw a bead on you instead of the child. Because yeah. you're a larger target. And honestly and I have to jump in there. If you're near a window and you can bust that window and throw that kid out of it if you can. Yep. Unless you're on uh, a great floor, that's a bad idea. And in addition to that, if you are, if you are the, uh, like he said before, I want to emphasize this again. Uh, if you are the person that does defend in an armed fashion against that shooter, put yourself in a prone position after the fallout is done and wait for the police because they have to know that you're not a combatant. I know, I know, like, it sounds like I'm just repeating, and I kind of am, but I want to make it explicitly clear why he said that. You cannot look like a combatant when a first responder enters the scene because they are trained to engage threats. If that gun's held up, they don't know yet who the shooter is. You, they will think you're a threat. Also, that's why he said the citizenry should be clearly marked if they do engage in this active shooter team. Third thing, if you're going to call the police, please be clear to the dispatcher. One of the best things you can do, and still make yourself a hero by doing, is give the dispatcher clear and concise information about your situation. You have to stay calm. You might be shaky. You might Breathe. have galvanic skin, sweat, and all this other stuff. Breathing is key. What'd you say? Breathing is key. Breathing. That's yeah. the key to staying calm in any situation is always steady, smooth breaths. In fact, and I know it's going to sound, it's going to seem really like hard to do that at first, but that is what calms your body down. It's like, it's not just, it's nothing supernatural. It's just that steady, calm breaths is what makes your body just slow down and think. Because in the event that the police are the people who respond and do end up pulling you out, and it does happen, the person feeding them the information they need to get you out will be the dispatcher. So you have to be you have to be calm and you have to be strong and talk to them and give them as much as you can. Yeah. And that's that's my parting note. Okay. 
right, we're going to take a call for you guys real quick. Are you ready? Sure. Okay, here we go. We got, all right, we got 503 on the line. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hello, hey, uh, my name is Steve. I'm also known as the Rev. I'm uh, um, out of Salem, Uh, Oregon. Yeah, yeah, Rev. Some of y'all might know me. All right, so um, my understanding, and I could be wrong here, is that the 21-foot rule is actually when a trained, um, someone who's trained with a weapon actually has it drawn and is facing someone with a knife. Yeah. And in that situation, someone who has a knife is more often than not going to take down someone who has a weapon drawn and is prepared and trained to take them down with that with that um with that gun. Well, so, um, actually, 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 it's if if the gun is holstered and the person comes in, at, the person has a knife and the gun is holstered, and both guys are looking at each other, and yeah. the guy charges at him with the knife. Uh, it's 21 feet before he can unholster the gun, fire around, and be out of the way. There are cases where people can shoot to where uh, to, to where they, they can still hit the target, but it, there's a difference between uh, lethality and stopping and ending the fight. Even though you hit the guy and you may hit him dead in the heart, uh, he, he can still keep coming. So you need to make sure that it has to be something that can stop and you can get offline uh, of the attack also. Uh, now, now of course, there's variations where they have things like speed rocks where you can shoot from the hip, and you know th- that's advanced stuff. And you know maybe the 21 foot rule could change, but you're not aiming your target. But uh, generally, statistically, yeah, it's 21 feet to draw and shoot and get out of the way of the attacker. Okay, I think uh, we have. It looks like we have Ira on the line. We're gonna take this call. Ira, you there? Uh, no, this is uh, DHM. Oh, DHM, sorry, 757. You got me. Yeah, no problem. Um, two little things that uh, might help. Um, one, if you are engaged with someone with a knife uh, or a similar circumstance that are coming at you, your best bet is to go ahead and stitch where you would hit the center mass and use your recoil as your gun's going up to continue firing. Um, and number two, uh, like um, like uh, Exemplar was saying earlier, breathing is key. One of the things that you can do to help with that is you're taking a deep breath and you force down, almost like you're trying to do, a, say, a bowel movement. It'll yeah. reset your heart and your um, and your breathing, so yeah. you'll slow down and become more relaxed. And uh, it's a good idea if you go to the range or anything like that and you practice to go ahead and try and hyperventilate a little bit and see how that changes your shooting. You'll you'll notice that you um, become less accurate and uh, it, it'll throw you off. And that way you become sort of used to shooting in that sort of scenario and you can know what it's like and know what it takes to get yourself back into a regular pattern of breathing. I absolutely I give zero credit. He's the one that mentioned breathing first. Ah, hey, you know yeah, what? As long as the message gets across, I just want to say I'll say it one more time. Breathing is key in any stressful situation. It doesn't have to be a shooter thing. It can be in your job when you're having a hard day, when your temper is rising. Just just press down that breath. Just 
the smooth, calm breaths. It, I swear, I swear to you, this is how, this is how I kicked the habit of being an angry person. I swear to you. Yeah, just, just that, that smooth, was, yeah. Well, that was another old... good point. That was a good point yeah. on there he made about the uh, about um, the the hyperventilating and, and it changing your shooting. Uh, one thing we try to do is make all of our shooting stressful. Uh, once the person gets the hang of it, you want to induce stress because that is what the you know, a lot of guys go to the range and they're like, oh, I can shoot a uh, a one inch group and that that's fantastic. But how can you do that? How do you do that under stress? Um, shooting at paper and shooting at people is not the same thing. Uh, and standing there shooting at a target in a non-stressful situation, you need to do things. One of the things we do sometimes is have the person uh, hit some jumping jacks, drop down, do some push-ups, do some squats, now grab the pistol and shoot. And just anything like that, yeah, anything to get people in, induce that stress. So that's a good point he made. Yeah. All right. Um, if, if nobody else has any uh, other very important points. We're going to move on to exemplars pro tips. Is that okay? Uh, anybody? Yes. All right. Um, the the pro tips segment for this week is going to be um, oh, and if anybody has any, else has any other questions uh, or comments about this, please don't hesitate to call in. Uh, we have about 17 minutes on the show. Uh, the pro tips segment is exemplar for uh, choosing the right martial arts school, and I'm absolutely sure that Rock and Alan are both going to chime in because they're all three of these people are very, very accomplished martial artists and trainers, so let's do it. Okay. Um, I want to clarify first that when we when we say choosing the right school, we're not espousing uh, any kind of stylistic division. We're not plugging or promoting. What we're part of the main idea that we're trying to get across is there are a lot of charlatans out there. There are a lot of people who will tell you what you want to hear or who will not be properly equipped to train you. Uh, That can range uh, through a gamut of circumstances, one of which being perhaps they are a martial artist in the past and can exhibit some signs of... uh, having things to offer you, but not an experienced teacher. Uh, There are a couple of good ways uh, to get around this, one of which is uh, when you look at a school, uh, when you visit it, go inside, talk to somebody, usually that's what happens. There's some shaking of hands. You might see some quasi-impressive things, and unfortunately, if you're uninitiated, some of those things might just be smoke and mirrors and uh, you're walking into a snake oil peddler, essentially, what you should do once you visit a place, go online, assuming they have a website, and I'm not saying everyone has a website, but it's a good idea to go online and see if they have a website. When you look at that website, check their credentials and the titles that they state. Now, It is true that people can lack credentials and have a lifetime of experience and be excellent teachers. That's true. But I'm talking about warning signs, not speaking in absolutes. One of the warning signs is if you review the whole instructional staff and you have perhaps one person who looks like they have some kind of mild certification, 
Uh, belt systems are not absolute by any means. Uh, there's a proper or there's a common phrase that uh, I know Rock and Alan have probably heard. Uh, belt holds your pants up. A lot of people say that. Um, the, the thing is, when you when you look at these websites, if they don't mention specific credentials, or go ahead and Wikipedia the uh, or Google the the martial arts style itself and learn the name of the type of instructor associated with it. For example, if uh, you're looking at Muay Thai, it would be a crew or an arjan would be your teacher. If it's Kung Fu, you're looking at a Sifu. If it's uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, usually a brown belt or above is actually a good instructor. But <clears throat> black is good, great. Brown is usually good enough. But if you look and all these people are lacking the specific credentials, and like I said, just cross-check it. Type in them, plug in the martial art, copy and paste it if you need to. Uh, and if you find that they do not have the actual titles of the teachers of that art, that's one of your preliminary red flags. Uh, somebody that I was helping a couple of weeks ago in my area looked at a school that was uh, – as it as it turns out, when I looked into their credentials, I had not heard of them, which was strange because it was in our area. I'm not saying I'm infallible or I've heard of everyone, but there's a certain uh, degree of or level of connection, and I hadn't heard of them, so I looked them up. None of them were actually qualified to teach anything. That happens a lot these days. Uh, Zero threw around the term McDojo earlier. That's That's a common phrase now. Because partially due to the MMA craze, people like to be marketed to on certain terms. So you have a lot of these glass house schools that don't have any uh, ability to teach or integrity. And that way, and in that capacity, you can be steered very wrong. So look, look them up, see if they have the relevant credentials, or see if they're being vague about credentials. If you see language, that kind of trails off and insinuates rather than definitely states, that is another clear sign that you're actually being misdirected. Uh, common marketing technique these days on uh, many styles is to post something like jujitsu or uh, something to that effect or Brazilian jujitsu as a tagline under their title because they know that that's an attractive word to market to people who have had some experience watching mixed martial arts or something like that. Uh, when you see the tagline kind of underscored, uh, that's also something you should look into and see if they actually have qualified jujitsu teachers, for instance. I only mention jujitsu not because I'm espousing it over any anyone, but because this seems to be one of the big common things that have come out after the UFC phrase, is people love to say jujitsu as a tagline for like a Taekwondo studio where they have good Taekwondo teachers, but they have no actual qualified Jiu-Jitsu staff. That's, that's actually really popular one these days. Another thing to look for is um, really uh, just review the schools in your area. Uh, usually a more dynamic mix would be a better option to go with. And that's for a few reasons. 
uh, one, if you want to learn any uh, practical combative uh, martial, martial arts or uh, recreational or athletically oriented martial arts uh, for your own like personal development, a good thing to a good thing to look for is a dynamic mix within the school because that means that they will be a more adaptable to you, and as you grow, as you flourish. As a in, as an individual, uh, you will see more things that you like, and you'll have more options to tailor yourself in the future. Like if you take one of their classes for one style, and you see something different uh, that you like, or you think is more suitable for your body type, and you want to take that, you'd have the option of taking that. So that the dynamic mix is a good thing in that respect. Another thing it, the dynamic mix is good for is honestly tolerance, because you'll know if they teach several different things that would normally compete, like, on their own for your money uh, in the outside world, and I hate to talk about money, but things become increasingly about money these days, if they teach a dynamic mix of things, they're going to be more tolerant, and they're not going to illegitimately decry something to catch your attention away uh, from a martial art that you might actually be really good at. Certain body types are good at certain things, uh, and certain pay certain people have a certain pace that they would like to go with or a natural organic flow of movement. Uh, So looking at a variety of things, and if your area has a wide variety of schools, you could even visit different schools and see what appeals to you the most. There are certain levels of pragmatism perhaps uh, in certain things and certain levels of elegance. And if you want to go with elegance, that's fine. Uh, Just... Choose something that you feel fits you uh, because there's another saying we have uh, in the mixed martial arts world. Uh, Actually, that's another thing I should mention, Uh, but I'll get to that in a moment. In the mixed martial arts world, we have a saying, you don't fight the school, you don't fight the style, you don't fight the record, you fight the person. And that holds relevance uh, to how well you can perform in any individual martial art. If somebody's mastered it, mastery is honestly an illusion. I don't like to use the term master uh, in a definite end-all, be-all respect because we're all on a perpetual journey. But if someone's, we'll, we'll say the term master for simplicity's sake, if someone's mastered a certain martial art, then they can be as uh, effective as someone who uh, has mastered another martial art. It's all about execution in some respect. There are body mechanics that are more uh, damaging or fast, this, that, and the other, but uh, really what you flourish at, uh, you can make your muse and be incredible at. Like, it's, it's just, it's, rel- it's subjective to the individual. And the reason I uh, said to myself I should revisit the mixed martial art thing is beware of anybody that, set, that uses MMA as a tagline. This is actually the other marketing technique that I was referring to. Besides jujitsu, people love to say, quote, MMA, unquote. Uh, in my area, we've had people that come through uh, schools and say, I want to learn MMA. That is not, that is honestly not a thing. Uh, there are different styles that are used in mixed martial arts rings. Uh, different striking bases, different grappling arts. 
they're a comprehensive and amalgam grappling arts. None of them are actually called mixed martial arts. It is a warning sign if you go to a school and it has mixed martial arts in its curriculum. Sometimes this uh, this is untrue for a widely different reason, which is they're trying to simplify things and market to people so they understand they're actually learning something versatile, but they they know that people won't understand or they think that people won't understand terms like combat submission wrestling or Brazilian jiu-jitsu or uh, et cetera. Uh, so if somebody has MMA as a curriculum or they say they teach MMA, that's another thing to look out for because there's a lot of posers and sharks out there and people who will end up teaching you things that will become a liability if you actually try to engage somebody or defend yourself. I absolutely agree with that. These poor muscle memories that these people help you implement are liability. And in the frame of the moment, you'll, you'll end up getting hit and not putting out enough damage. And when I say damage, just like we were talking about the shooter scenario earlier, I'm not trying to be overly morbid or violent, but the fact of the matter is, uh, whether we talk about damage in terms of asphyxiation from a choke or deterrence from a leg lock or striking, uh, you still want a deal breaker uh, for your martial art if your aim is self-defense or combat, and I should emphasize that. If your aim is recreational, Certain martial arts that don't have what I would like to call deal breakers would be would be fine enough for you. But if you want a self-defense or pragmatic combat situation uh, kind of education, you're going to want something that can deliver some deliver a deal breaker so that the person attacking you does not get backed up. Because people are not uh, movie ninjas, people are not the putties from Power Rangers. Or, or whatever other example I can give, or a video game like a uh, cardboard cutout character, people will get back up and people will re-engage you. And if you do not sufficiently deter or disable them, it will happen. And if you lock in the wrong muscle memories or you try to depend on something that doesn't, uh, that doesn't actually work that was taught to you by a charlatan, you're going to get hurt. Uh, uh, you guys want to weigh in? Absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah that, that that's yeah. absolutely correct. I was just I was just thinking to myself, you know, I I, I had a school here and uh, I taught um, Muay Thai and I taught um, combat submission wrestling here. My instructor was actually uh, under Eric Paulson, um, but they, uh, you know, you, you have all kind. We had a we had a school pop up um, around here, and <laughs> this guy. This guy, I think he had done like one tournament, and he starts teaching around here, you know. And and for me, I, I maybe this is just the type of person I am. I, I'm the type of guy that's like, hey, I'd like to come to your school and try it out, you know. And I, I like to get in there and and see, you know. If, one thing, if the instructor will not get out on the mat with you, um, I think that's a clear warning sign, also. And of yeah. course, you know, there could be issues where they're injured or whatever, but look to see if the if the instructor's willing to get out there and all this stuff that he's telling you cuz I think uh, I said something about this um on Facebook about a lot of people live their life as as a theory. They have a lot of theories on how things work, but uh, a lot of people are too afraid to put them to the test. 
and you don't want to live a life of theories. You want to know if it works. There's been many things. When we were talking about the active shooter, you know, we – uh, how I figured out what gun disarms work and what don't is I tried them on uh, either airsoft or with sim munitions, and I got shot a lot of times before I figured out which ones actually worked. So I want to fail. I want to fail in training, not I want to fail when it actually counts. And you know that that, that is that, that's very important. You know, always look to see if the instructor's willing to get out there um, on the mat with everybody. Um, you know, at my at, when I started. Uh, Training. I started with combat submission wrestling, and we were out there. There's no belts. There's no nothing. Everybody's in shorts and T-shirts or whatever they want to wear. So you don't know what kind of skill level somebody has to lock up. Um, so, That's true. You know, different actually, places are. Go ahead. I actually teach the SW. Yeah. That's true. Oh, that's great. Yeah, no, I mean, so I mean, so I mean, it's uh, it's very important to to look for that. Uh. Going back to, and that's an excellent, excellent point, and it's a real Guys? red flag. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm looking at the time, and I'm, I'm thinking we're probably going to have to wrap this up. Um, yeah, we really have about uh, a minute forty left. Is Brock? Is yeah. there anything you want to weigh on before we shut out? Yeah, really quickly. They, they make excellent points, and we can always add more to the Tribe Radio uh, page uh, on Facebook because these guys are great as far especially with what Exemplar's given us to go on. I just want to say any school can teach you how, should be, any school with its salt should be able to teach you how to uh, to defend yourself within a week, honestly. Yeah. But, you know, that, they should be able to teach you within a week, but then mastering, like we said, we're using that term loosely, comes with time because it's, you, even black belts should always have something that they're learning and yeah. really, like you said, belts are just for holding up pants. But you guys are yep. amazing. I'd really like to ask you to add more to our uh, Facebook page, uh, yep. if you wouldn't mind. Sure. All right. Uh, well, we've, uh, we've actually pushed this right to the very end, of the 90-minute episode right to the very end. Guys, thank you so much for being thank on. You. Um, thank I'd you like, so much. I'd like everybody to take their moment of silence tonight when, when, the, when the show is done because we didn't have uh, time for that. Um, for the for the uh, the tragedy in Connecticut, and also um, again, thank you. And um, if you guys want to uh, weigh in on the, the idea of if, if you'd like us to continue with ninety minute shows or go back to an hour show, please weigh in on the page. And again, guys, any parting words? I just just I just want everybody to stay safe out there, and um, and that, right. that's about it, you know. All right. Have a good night, guys. Everybody, good night. Have a good one. Take care, everybody. Take care. See you next week. Have a good one. Have a good one. Tribe Radio out. Alright, that was good. Sorry for 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 the uh for the uh, good. I was just I noticed it though it's like it it sounds definitely a conversation that sounds on the radio. Yeah. Um if if in the future when you're on if you want to take us uh, it says I'm just a silent report. Yeah, that's what I'll 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 sign here for that. So good.
That was pretty good. Uh, we didn't. Uh, we brought that right up to the end of that show. Holy shit! Yeah. I didn't even believe that. Yeah, we could have we could have done a lot more. Um, and I, again, we could do an entire show of martial arts. We just covered. We could do an entire show on individual. Yeah. And it's on the circuit. Yeah. Oh, you can't use the bathroom. Yeah. What do you think? We, what do you think this is? A house. Uh, do you do your...